the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I, I want to start with a light-hearted, kind of humorous story because it's a heavy topic that we're going to be talking about. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? But um, there's a story of a couple of sailors from Australia that made their way to England and they were on leave in England and they spent a little too much time in the pub that night and they had a few one too many. And uh, as they were walking out of the pub into the night, they're disorientated, they're wobbly on their feet and they're trying to get some help. And here comes a gentleman coming into the pub at the same time and he was uh, a highly decorated officer of the British Navy. And so one of the sailors calls out to him, say, bloke, can you tell me where I am? And uh, the officer looked at the men and he was quite offended. And he said, do you know who I am? And at that point, one of the sailors said, now we're really in trouble. We don't know where we are and he doesn't know who he is. Um, The question of identity A lot of people in our culture are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a human being? Who am I at a deep fundamental level? And when we discover who we are, then that gives us direction for where we should go. Um, Purpose flows from identity. And right at the beginning of the Bible, God makes a statement about who we are as human beings. And this is fundamental When it says in Genesis chapter one, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Who are we answer image bearers of God, our creator? That is who God created us to be image bearers. If you read carefully the story of. The unfolding of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, it's very clear that uh, human beings are the crown of creation. Really, you don't have to read it that carefully, I guess. But there are clues within the text. You know, after God creates in these various days, it says he he saw that it was good. But then on day six, and and Mickey did a good job of emphasizing this in a reading, on day six, after he created humanity, it was very good. After he created man, it was very good good so human beings are the crown of creation we are image bearers of God our creator one way to think about what that means is to consider the cultural context of the ancient Near East kings in those days would set up images of themselves throughout the territory and especially in in regions where they couldn't get to they would set up an image of themselves a statue of themselves just to say to the people My presence, my majestic presence is still here. I'm still ruling. I'm still the authority. It was to to represent his presence and his majesty and his rule. And that's part of what Genesis is saying is that human beings, we are to represent God's presence and something of his glory and something of his majesty in his world. Under his rule, he's the ruler, but we rule under him. And we have been made to reflect something of his 
glory and majesty. And that obviously gives great dignity to human beings. Human beings have intrinsic value, inherent dignity, because all people are created in God's image. No matter the status, Genesis is saying you don't have to be a king or a ruler. All people have dignity and worth. Inherently, apart from what their status is and their role in society because they're image bearers of God the Creator. So I want to talk about how should we live in light of this. What are the implications of being an image bearer of God? How should we live this out in our life? And uh, just based on what we see here in the Genesis account of creation, I want to talk about three things. The relationship to God as image bearers. Living out our life as an image bearer means that we need to be in relationship with our creator. Our relationship with one another and then our relationship to culture. So those are three things I want to touch on here relationship with our creator it's very clear in these early chapters of genesis genesis 1 and 2 that adam and eve are unique among god's creatures god interacts with them in a unique way god comes to them personally and he teaches them he instructs them genesis chapter 2 says that he walked in the garden he walked among them god had a special relationship with his image bearers And we have been created then to have a relationship with God, to know him, to learn from him, to worship him, to develop this relationship with with him. And it's important to say, and this is Trinity Sunday. And on Trinity Sunday, we acknowledge that the God we worship is indeed, as the Jewish confession says, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one God. But this one God has revealed himself to be triune. And that God himself is a relationship of love. This eternal relationship of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that's been going on for eternity means that God did not have to create the world. God did not have to create image bearers. God was not lonely before he made human beings or creation. So creation is a gift of God. It is an overflow of the fullness of God's love and life. Why did God create the world? Why did he create human beings? Not because he had to, but because he wanted to communicate his love and his glory to other creatures. So it wasn't out of necessity. It was a gift. It's the nature of love to communicate love. It's the nature of goodness to communicate goodness. And God communicates his love and goodness to creation. It's an overflow of the abundance of who he is. Creation. That's the way God intended it to be. And he wanted special creatures who were in a special relationship with him. Who would bear his image and give him glory. And in the process, find fulfillment for their souls, for their lives. And so we have been made uniquely among all other creatures to have this special relationship with God, a moral, a spiritual relationship with God, our creator. Now, somebody has quipped this. A dog never returned meat from a butcher shop that it's stolen from. (laughs) A dog does not have. I love dogs. I have an old dog, Holly. I love her. But I don't think the dog has a moral 
doesn't understand something about the moral law, doesn't understand itself to live under a moral law giver. But I can tell you, as a father of six, that starts pretty early in children. They understand intrinsically something about the moral law and there's a moral lawgiver and they feel accountable to that at a very early age. You see, God has designed us to be in relationship with him. And so when that's messing in our life and when there's people who ignore God and don't develop this relationship with him, they're they're not living according to the design. And so there's a sense of a lack of fulfillment. They're messing a piece of the puzzle of what it means to be a human being. So that's fundamental. That's the starting point. This vertical relationship that we as image bearers are to have with our creator. And then the second is relationship with other people. God, who is relational in his very being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creates beings in his image who are designed for relationship. And we see that in the creation story quite early. Just after God creates man, he creates woman. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 2, it says, God sees Adam and he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will create a helper that is suitable for him. A helper that will correspond to him. That will be fitting for the man. I will create a helper. Helper doesn't mean inferiority in this context. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, God is called the helper of his people. God is the helper of the people of Israel. So helper doesn't mean inferior. It has a sense of wholeness and completeness. It's not good for the man to be alone. We have been made to be in relationship with one another. And so after God creates Adam, he creates, you could say he creates marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. And it's important to highlight that in our cultural context today because we are moving away from this. We've already moved away from marriage as between a man and a woman. This is God's original design. But we're moving and we have moved away from that as a culture. But it's between a man and a woman. Only a man and a woman fundamentally are biologically compatible. I'm stating the obvious here. And only a man and a woman can generate new life. Reflecting once again what it means to be made in the image of a God who generates life. There's something very fundamental about this in terms of who we are. That God created us man and woman. And I say this with with compassion that our society moving away from this is creating tragic conditions. But that's how God has designed us. He's designed us for relationship in marriage, in family life, and through friendship, and through friendship. And the church ought to be a community of friendship, of deep friendship for people who are, are, are not in experiencing marital life or not experiencing family life, or there's brokenness there. The church is the family of God, so people like that should be able to come in here and develop deep relationships because we've been created to know one another, to love one another. To care for one another. And as we do that, as we live that out, we are reflecting something of the glory of God who is relational. There's a story in this book that I've been reading by Dr. Paul Brand, the doctor and the missionary Paul Brand. And I've told a few stories out of that that book. And I'm thankful that Sue Katzoff gave me that book to read. 
<laughs> and the, the book is called In His Image, In His Likeness. But there's a story that Paul Brand uh, tells about his mother, who was a missionary in India. And she served as a missionary well into her 90s in India. And he said one of his last visual memories of his mom is that she's sitting on this stone wall in an Indian village and the villagers are surrounding her and she's teaching them about Jesus Christ. And um, and he said this, he said, um, the faces are gazing at her with absolute trust and affection because they've come to know her love. And then he went on and he said, I realized then even with my relative youth and strength and my specialized knowledge about medicine and agriculture, I could never have commanded that kind of devotion. They were looking at a wrinkled face, but to them, she was beautiful because the image of God was beaming through her, through her acts of love. They had come to know the glory of God through her. So as image bearers, that's what we're called to do in marriage, in family life, in the church. We glorify God. We expand his glory through loving one another. Our God is a God of love. And so this is one of the primary ways that we image him in the world today. Relationship to God, relationship to others, and then relationship to culture. Um, Look again at what it says in verse 28. This is part of what, well, this is what theologians call the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. And God blessed them. And then from that blessing flows a task. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first part of that is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And uh, I've had plenty of people say, Ben, you've taken that quite seriously <laughs> as a father of six. But, but why is it that God gives that command? Be fruitful and multiply. Well, I, I think it's because God wants more and more of his image bearers throughout the world. He wants more and more of of, 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 of people who will expand and extend his glory as they live out what he's designed them to live out throughout the world, throughout all nations. Fill the earth. And then he says, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. That's the second part of the job description here. What that means is that we're to harness the world's resources, the created world's resources for good. Uh, That doesn't give people a license to abuse the earth. We're still this is still the father's world. We're still under his rule and authority. But God has given the world for us to use for good and for his glory. And again, this is part of the, the cultural mandate. As God's image bearers, God calls us to create cultures, to build things, to build families, to build institutions, churches, schools, hospitals. And then God creates us to work 
in His world. And this gives great dignity to work. All sorts of work. Any honest work can give glory to God. The Reformers taught this very clearly. Any honest work gives glory to God and when done well and serves a neighbor. Serves your neighbor. God has given work to bring Him glory and to allow us to love our neighbor, to serve our neighbor. And that gives great dignity to all sorts of work. We can contribute something to the glory of God and serve one another through work. So that's important for us to keep in mind, whether we're working uh, in, in paid, paid work, whether we're still drawing a paycheck, or whether we're volunteering, or whether we're working in church, or whether we're serving our family. Whatever work we do can bring glory to God, and it's a way of serving and loving our neighbor. We need to remember that. Moms need to remember that when they're changing yet another diaper. Um, the student who's heading to the classroom needs to remember that, you know, through my studies, I'm making a contribution. I'm being formed into a person who can make a contribution and help other people. The service clerk who answers the customer's question is serving the neighbor. A lawyer drafting a legal brief. A manager meeting with subordinates. All these are ways that that as we do our work unto the Lord, we're bringing Him glory and we can help other people. And that's part of fulfilling this cultural mandate. So the image of God, it's about a relationship with God, our Creator, relationships with one another, and relationships, uh, our relationship to culture, to build up the culture for the glory of God and to serve one another. Now, we have to make this point before I close out. And that's this. This is Genesis 1 and 2 stuff. We don't live in Genesis 1 and 2 anymore. Paradise has been lost. Genesis 3, we see what's happened. Genesis 1 and 2 is God saying to his image bearers, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. Genesis 3 is how we screwed it up. And that Adam and Eve rejected the rule of God. And because of that, the relationship between them and their creator was broken. They hid themselves. There was strain in their marriage. They blamed one another for the sin and work became toil. So we live in a post Genesis three world. And we we know that we know in our own life, the, the sense of distance. Sometimes we feel with God, the brokenness that can happen in marriage and family and the way that work can feel like meaningless toil sometimes. So we live in this post Genesis three world. The good news is that God didn't give up on his creation. God didn't give up on his image bearers. And he sent his son into the world to redeem the world and to redeem us. His son who was the perfect image bearer. Paul talks about the, that, that the son is the, in, is the image. The image of the invisible God is Jesus Christ. You want a vision of perfect humanity? Look to Jesus Christ. You know, we are attracted to to people who embody some sort of perfection. We're attracted to beautiful people. We're attracted to great athletes. Did you see LeBron James the other day in the playoffs, how he took that over? It was amazing. Where People pay big money to see something like that. Or art. Music. Because we're attracted to beauty and we're attracted to perfection. Well, Jesus is the, is the picture, the image of perfect humanity. And He's the image of the invisible God. And he lived a perfect life in our place. And he did the things that we were called to do, but we didn't. We weren't able to do it. He loved God perfectly. 
He loved other people perfectly. And he worked. Our Lord worked for the glory of God. He worked as a carpenter. He was a blue-collar man. And he did his work unto the glory of God. And then he worked as God's suffering servant. He worked as the Messiah. And his work took him all the way to the cross. And it's on the cross that he paid for our sin, our brokenness, our failures. And it's through him that the image of God can be restored and has been restored in those of us who have faith in him. And it's because of Christ that we have people in the world like Granny Brand in her 90s who's still beaming with the love of God. It's because of the renovating work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in her life that all of us can reflect something of God's glory in our relationships to one another, in our family life, in the church, and in the culture. It's because of Christ that our dignity as human beings can be restored. I don't know about you. I'm concerned about dignity in this culture. Human dignity. And it's through Christ that our dignity, the dignity of family, marriage, work, relationships, all that can be restored. Not perfectly. But it's a glimmer of the hope that's to come. So praise God for his work. Amen. Gracious God, we do thank you and praise you for who you are and what you have done to restore us. We thank you for the dignity of being made in the image of God. We thank you for the reminder that all people are created in this image. Help us to live this out in our life in the way that we treat others, and the way that we live our life. You have designed us, God, to bring you glory. Forgive us for those areas of our life where we have fallen short. And help us to live this out with your enabling power through the work of the Spirit. Amen.